that's how you get through life. You, you focus on what's in front of you rather than dwelling on what's behind you. And when it comes to being successful, whether it's as a SEAL, firefighter in business, you know, you, you focus yourself at what you're going to do rather than just resting on the laurels of what you've done in the past. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Kevin Lace is a former Navy SEAL sniper, breacher, and combat medic. He is also a certified physician assistant with Regenesis, a professional speaker, writer, and works actively in the entertainment industry. And today we are going to talk about risk, about sacrifice, about transitioning from one thing you love to another, about taking new challenges and taking the best of our life experiences and applying them to those challenges right where we are today. Kevin was born and raised in central Connecticut and before enrolling in James Madison University. Now, when the terrorist attacks happened on 9-11 and those attacks claimed the life of a good friend's father, Kevin decided to leave school in favor of military service, and that is when he discovered the Navy SEALs. Now, Kevin's true account of his 2006 deployment with SEAL Team 3's Charlie Platoon was published in July of 2016. The Last Punisher tells the gripping story of a young SEAL's first deployment to a combat zone. Now, Kevin did two platoons at SEAL Team 3, both Charlie and Delta, as a platoon sniper, breacher, and combat medic, each with a deployment to Iraq, one in 2006 and one in 2008. He was fortunate enough to work alongside many of the toughest frogmen to ever wear the trident, guys such as Mark Lee, Ryan Job, Mikey Monsoor, and Chris Kyle. His platoon's 2006 deployment to Ramadi, then the most dangerous city in Iraq, has been discussed in several books, including Chris Kyle's American Sniper. Kevin also worked as a SEAL technical advisor and played himself in that Oscar-nominated film from 2014, American Sniper. And the time he spent working alongside the film's subject, Chris Kyle, made him an incredibly valuable asset to the film's cast and crew. And I believe that today, Kevin's story and his message will be an incredibly valuable asset to you. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Kevin Lace, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Very excited to have you and talk about risk-taking and your book, Last Punisher, and and, uh, what you are up to these days. Mike, thank you for having me on. It's a true honor. You know, we've been really blessed and and, and fortunate with the book, and um, we've helped change some lives, and we're looking forward to doing some more. Absolutely. A big shout out to Carrie Lorenz for connecting us, and uh, she was on the show a while back, and... and, uh, you came highly recommended, and and uh, obviously I had seen your book before that, but uh, never knew really how you were connected. And and you know we know some mutual people between uh, Jocko, obviously, and and uh, 
a guy that I grew up with here in Santa Cruz, um, who uh, was also a SEAL. But uh, you know, I, I as I was reading your book, it, it's really a reminder of just how brutal war is, and how much you and your brother SEALs put their lives on the line every day, and all all military personnel around the world. So I want to just say thank you for your service as a military brat myself. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, we we join and. You know, I was actually just meeting today with some uh, young men that want to go into the teams, and you know, they're they're just a sponge asking you know, so many questions and questions that I I had when I was going in, and you really don't know until you get there. Uh, you have to dive in, and once you immerse yourself, it is brutal, it is violent, but you know, we end up crossing paths with you know your gentleman you went to, you went to school with and carry, and you see the difference that people make. So we're appreciative for the people that support us because without them, we can't do our job. Absolutely. You know, but for, for those people that don't know your story, don't know your background, maybe they haven't seen um, The Last Punisher, they're not familiar with Chris Kyle's story or, or the, the amazing accolades that your unit in, uh, in Ramadi uh, earned, maybe you can fill us in on your origin story and what ultimately led to the reason why we're on the call today. Yeah, well, I, I hate to uh, disappoint your audience, but I'm a, kind of an underwhelming story. You know, I was I was a basically a college dropout right around the time of time of nine eleven. I'm from Connecticut, born and raised, oldest of three boys. Went to an all guys Catholic prep school, did well in high school, and uh, had aspirations of being a doctor. And um, went to James Madison University, and really did not exceed. I, I did. I was a triple major. It was uh, girls, rugby, and booze, and uh, wound up with a zero. Yeah, right. A 0.7 GPA uh, after my first semester. So, like I said, very underwhelming. Um, it kind of, you know, slogged through undergrad for uh, a semester and, uh, you know, a year and a half until 9 11 hit. And 9 11, for those who grew up in the East Coast, uh, hit close to home. My friend's, a really good friend's father was killed in the Trade Center. And, you know, being at James Madison in Virginia, a lot of classmates, families have been affected by the Pentagon. And I took a look at where I was in life, and um, I realized that I was kind of stuck in a rut, and I needed to make a change. I needed to make a difference in my life, and I no way could have, you know, foresaw the turns and twists life took me and how I ended up here. But I knew at that point in time it was time to do something better, um, and I needed to take uh, more initiative on my part. And so I joined the Navy with the aspirations of becoming a SEAL. That's you know, it's an incredibly you know, I think you're, I think you're humble, you know, I mean, like you, you obviously are an ambitious driven person and had a, a, a drive that I think is often misdirected and misunderstood. So people end up channeling that drive in, in maybe the wrong places. And there's a triggering event. And in your case, it happened to be this tragic event of 9-11 that focuses that energy and effort that ultimately led to you joining the SEALs. So when you all showed up on day one of, of training, what was your thought process? What, what, were your, what was your mental mindset and what were you determined to do? You know, Mike, I, I kind of wiped the slate clean. I, I kind of flushed all the memories that I had had prior to not succeeding in college. You know, I really, I really wanted to become a doctor. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of prep work while I was in high school. Um, and that didn't pan out the way I'd planned. So when I got to training, particularly when I got to the grinder of buds, I, I wiped, wiped that clean and said, this is time to start over. 
And I saw from the moment I showed up that it's a meritocracy where, you know, your direction is based on your performance. And when you are surrounded by like-minded individuals, particularly the ones that are extremely ambitious and, and are pushing themselves to the limits, you know, that's when you tend to perform at your best. And I saw that early on. And I told myself that I can't look in the mirror if I don't make it through this program. You know, I think this is um, this is kind of the crucible for me, and I need to. I am challenging myself, and I need to excel at this challenge. And um, and I did. And I, I surrounded myself with with good people, strong men, uh, great team guys, and I was able to make it through that program and then go on to the teams. What did you do to prepare? To prepare for buds, basically. I know, like when I when I had Jocko on, you know. Obviously, the media makes a really big deal out of buds, but buds is just one small element of the overall training, and and it's intense. But it's it's there's a lot more stuff that goes into it before and after before you even got to in you know indoctrination school and all that stuff. I mean, what what did you do to prepare your mind more than your body? Because you probably were already physically fit and strong uh, relative to what the tasks that would be put in front of you, but at the end of the day, it becomes a mind thing. So what did you do to like really push yourself to the point of, of making sure that you're not going to quit when you in- encounter some sort of a task that is seemingly insurmountable? Yeah. You know, it, it started disappoint again, but the Navy boot camp actually allowed me to fall out of shape. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as challenging as I thought I would. And we didn't, you know, physically prepare ourselves to the standard of bud. So, uh, following that, I went to hospital corpsman school, uh, basic Navy medic school, and, and I had to go above and beyond. And, you know, I, I logged in the miles, I, I was in the pool for hours and, you know, you can only prepare yourself as much as you can when you get to buds. Cause when you get there, they're going to determine another shape for you and they're going to get you to that point. But the one thing that I realized, and it doesn't matter if it's steel training, if it's business now, if it's, you know, healthcare that I'm in, that 80% is above the neck. And I saw that early on at Buzz. And you're absolutely correct. It's the mental fortitude and it's how well you prepare yourself. I, I, I looked at myself as a man and said, this is going to define me. And I'm either going to rise to this occasion and do the task at hand, or I'm going to fail. And I couldn't stand failure. So I reinforced and I played off the positives. I kind of forgot a lot of the negatives. And said, the goal is to do better this next moment, this next day than I did previously. And I continued to push myself. And fortunately, you know, I was around people. I surrounded myself with people who thought the same way. And, and you know, collectively, we forged that, that mindset. And, you know, that mindset has been with SEALs ever since, you know, back in the uh, NCD, NCDU days. And then also UDT. And then obviously when the SEAL teams were formed, it's that warrior mindset with that, I will not fail. I will not quit. You know, you said something that's really important there that that uh, you kind of just glossed over a little bit, but I, I don't think it's you know highlighted enough. Is that you focused on the next moment, the next evolution, the next thing? You didn't focus on like going from point A to Z. You focused on just succeeding in that next task, whatever it is. And I think that's a huge element to winning in any area of life, whether it's being a SEAL, which is amazing, and 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 hard or being a firefighter or being a husband or being a father or being a businessman you know we can get caught up in the the end 
goal that we have in mind and lose sight of all of the things that need to be done in between to get there. Absolutely. You know, it's one foot in front of the other and that's, that's the way you make it through buds and that's the way you make it through life. You know, um, you can have a great evolution. You can have a bad evolution. If you dwell on that, there's no way you're going to succeed in the next one. Um, and that's, that's how I got through hell week. That's how I got through buds. Essentially, that's how you get through life. You, you focus on what's in front of you rather than dwelling on what's behind you. And when it comes to being successful, whether it's as a SEAL, firefighter in business, you know, you, you focus yourself at what you're going to do rather than just resting on the laurels of what you've done in the past. So you, you finished buds, you, you finished the SEAL training, you, you, uh, got your trident and then you were assi- were you immediately so- assigned to SEAL team three? No, I, you know, I was, I, I took an extra volunteer step and I became a, a corpsman and uh corpsman and the teams go to the special operations combat medic school. And there we train with the army, you know, uh, ranger medics, SF medics, some of the recon medics, and we learn advanced combat casualty care techniques to include, you know, crikes, chest tubes, basically being that 9-11 response in the battlefield when, uh, or not, you know, 9-11 response in the battlefield when there is no 9-11 and um, I spent nine months at Fort Bragg and then eventually checked in the SEAL Team 3. So you were able to not only fulfill your calling as a, as a SEAL, but also able to scratch that itch that you had about being a doctor. That's pretty cool. I, I did. And, you know, I kind of, I was, I was bummed when I had to go to that school because I had just been presented with this shiny trident, you know, just take it to a place at the table. Um, and then I was sent off to the school, whereas my classmates were going to SEAL Team 5, SEAL Team 7 being immediately deployed to Iraq, and I felt like I was missing the boat. But I learned a tangible skill, uh, not just, obviously, you know, battlefield medicine, but learning how to own your space. And I had a particular episode in the program where, in the 18 Delta program, where I was going through this tactical combat casualty care scenario, and I started to falter. You know, I just, things were not going my way as they should have, even with the amount of preparation I'd done before. And I had this instructor, he was an old, uh, old Delta guy. He kind of stopped me, you know, mid, you know, treatment. He stopped, he's like, are you going to sit here and flounder? Or are you going to own your space? And I felt that was the most profound moment in that school. It wasn't the IVs and all the, the tangible skills. It was that mindset that when you're a medic or you're an operator or whatever you do, you have to own the space that you're in, not just the ground you stand on, but that moment. And it is important as a medic to do that. And that actually was quite beneficial, you know, when we later on deployed to Iraq. You have the, what you just said there reminded me of the, the power of a mentor, whether it's somebody you actually solicited out for, for advice in the first place, or maybe it's, a, you know, this instructor who's, who's, you know, directing you, or whether it's one of your, you know, commanding officers in, in Iraq. What role have mentors played for you in your ability to excel in skill development and take risk? You know, I think if you're, um, if you're somebody who has pretty good situational awareness, you know, everybody's a mentor to some degree or another. I describe, and I, I know in, in my book, I talk a lot about the people I work with and, you know, their fingerprints are all over me and, and the impacts they've made on my life. And you have to be in tune with that. There's good mentors and there's bad mentors. And the ones that I was, that I was drawn to the most were, you know, on the enlisted side, I had a platoon chief, Tony, who, you know, he was on his 10th combat deployment when I, went out, when I was on my first. And he was that person who had the knowledge. You know, you sought after to be a better team guy. He was the one that made you be a better team guy every single day. And that was necessary not only, you know, being in combat and training, but also in life. And, um, 
you know, mentors are huge. And, and I've took that role on um, now because I meet a lot of people who have never met deals before. And you can either make or break the community based on how your appearance is and how you act and how you carry yourself. And uh, mentors played a big part in my development as a young steel. And, and hopefully I can do the same to people I meet. When you were in Iraq and, and setting up your position and trying to deploy your skills and also, you know, make sure that everybody knew you were uh, a big, tough frog, right? Uh, that how, how did you balance the nuance between wanting to show up and be a team member, but also remaining humble and uh, following leadership? You know, humility is everything. Um, you know, I, I, I recall early on, you know, working with some of the army guys, especially in that 18 Delta program who had, you know, they were older SF guys and they'd worked with team guys before. And those guys were a bunch of, you know, bunch of blah. And I really didn't want to be that guy, you know, um, especially as a new guy in Iraq, you know, new team guy, you know, you're, you're, you're like Tony says, you're, you're meant to be seen, not heard. Um, and that's the way you have to carry yourself. Um, it's the quiet professional, especially on the battlefield, because you don't know how somebody's going to react in a firefighter, how they're going to react in war. Um, and you know, being humble as possible, I think is kind of the strongest weapon you have. And as seals, you know, it's represented in the trident we wear. You know, we always look at the trident cause it's shiny. It's got the, the, the trident, it's got the anchor, the pistol, the eagle, but it's the head bowed on the eagle that a lot of people miss. And that's humility because that's the greatest attribute a warrior can have. And um, that was something that I took to heart early on in my career as a SEAL. You know, as you're as you were talking about Tony, I just keep thinking about. I listened to an interview that um, he, that uh, when Jock when he was on Jocko's podcast, and I mean, it's there's just a ton of humor that you guys have. You guys share a ton of humor, and not only not only all the time, but in the most intense, serious, critical situations. Like I remember a story. I think it was Tony who said it where you guys got into some firefight and everybody's cracking these jokes. And, and I've always been fascinated by that, like how important humor is in these intense, high pressure situations. What's your feeling about the importance of humor as it relates to managing risk? Uh, yeah, people think we're sick, um, you know, <laughs> basically based on based on the humor and when, when people laugh, you know, I, I, I interjected some of that in the book. And you know you need it. You need you need humor to to break some of the tension. Um, you know, obviously you need to be locked on. And there are times you know where humor is appropriate. And then there's times where you just can't take yourself too too seriously. Um, and that's where humor comes in the greatest. I, I had the guy in the platoon that I used to always you know be behind. He was the machine gunner, and he'd been in a couple platoons, and he was always like he always had a, a comment you know of how I could be better. Hey Dauber, you need to do this. Dauber, you need to do that. And I recall we were patrolling through these wadis in the northern part of Ramadi and it was slippery and he had way more gear on than I did. I would just watch him fall and waller in the, uh, in the mud the entire time. And I just couldn't help but laugh at him. And he laughed back realizing that he'd been riding my ass the entire time. And, you know, humor, humor's great and it brings you together and um, humor's definitely sick and twisted, but you know, it's necessary, especially <laughs> when you, uh, when you're under duress in combat. Absolutely. I can only imagine. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. 
based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. You know, one of the things that you and I talked about before uh, we set up this interview was the co- the whole concept of of risk taking and and how you've taken the lessons that you've learned uh, in combat and in training and are now applying them in in the civilian world. And so, I'd love to to talk about you know some of the lessons that you learned while you were in the SEAL teams about casting a vision developing a strategy and taking advantage of opportunity and how you are now taking those same lessons and deploying them in your new role as an entrepreneur and business owner and speaker and author. Yeah. You know, I, I remember, you know, the first couple ops in, in Iraq, and, you know, you, you always need to, you, you, you test the waters. You don't know how intense it's going to be. And, you know, we knew early on that, you know, uh, the operation, combat operations were going to be difficult and we were going to be, you know, constantly challenged throughout there and began to realize and a lot of the enlisted leadership pushed it um, was you need to go out there and make a difference because they're not paying you to sit on the sidelines. You can't win the game if you're sitting on the sidelines and you need to be active and proactive. There's no blueprint to that. It, it depends on the individual. Is that individual willing to stand up and go get after it? Or is that individual willing to sit on the sidelines and watch the team succeed or fail. And that's something that was mentored down to me. Um, you know, I had it within, I was definitely right beside them to get after it. Um, but that's something that I approached that opportunity waits, you know, whether or not you take action. And fortunately I've conditioned, been conditioned and have conditioned myself to be a person who will take action and will not let opportunities fall to the wayside and be willing to, um, take that first step when others will sit there flat footed. I th- I think that there's also the flip side of that too, where there's this kind of movement right now in the entrepreneurial world that once you have an idea, you have to take action right away, regardless of strategy and that the time is right now. But that actually can be a very risky proposition, whether you're in battle or in, in business. Um, and it seems to me that a lot of times, you know, when you guys would have your missions and to go take some sort of a target, you would get the vision would be cast, the strategy would be laid out. You'd even have the tactics dialed in, and then it would be like a hurry up and wait session. Yeah, you know this is true. Um, there's always an opportunity, and there's a right time to employ that, uh, employ the action. We saw some lessons learned in Iraq. You know, and we lost guys in Iraq due to hasty actions. You know, we did some daytime presence patrols and. You know, a couple of Jundies were killed on those. And, you know, we pressed the offensive and, and, and guys got hurt. And, you know, there's always a negative side to being over aggressive, you know, being too quick to the punch. That's where, that's where, um, you know, that's where maturity comes in. That's where um, comfortability comes in. And that's where vision comes in and understanding and reading, react to that situation and realizing that maybe now is not the right time to act. Uh, on this thing that I have going, maybe I'll go in my pocket for a second and revisit it in a little bit. And um, 
you know, a lot can be said uh, in those times of combat because those lessons are usually the hardest to learn um, when they don't, uh, you know, turn out the way you want them to. So as it relates to your role now as an entrepreneur and business owner, how do you deploy some of that same maturity in, in terms of owning your space and taking advantage of new opportunity, but also making sure that you're doing it when the right time presents itself? You know, that boils down to me as a, in medicine, I'm a certified physician assistant. Um, it comes down to health. Um, you know, I'm a person and you can ask my wife that I will go a hundred miles an hour, you know, seven days a week, every single day of the year. And that can be exhausting and it can lead to a lot of things. It can lead to bad decisions. Um, it can lead to compounded stress by overworking yourself. And it's being very strategic in how you're going to push yourself and where you're going to go ahead and put a lot of your, um, a lot of your uh, energy and time into instead of trying to gobble everything up. And I remember when I first got out, I felt a lot of the time when I right when I got out of the military, I felt like I was way behind the power curve with my peers, and I went after everything to go ahead and make an impact. And I found myself coming up short because I couldn't invest the necessary time and energy into a focused, uh, you know, opportunity. And I was putting, you know, I was, I was casting the net a little too wide. So I've learned how to be more, I have a little more discretion with each and every opportunity that I take. And then also how much energy I'm going to put into that opportunity, um, depending on that situation. So while you're waiting, you, 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 whether it's combat or business, you have, you, you have the strategy, you have the vision, but as we've just said, there are times where you have to wait, um, and, and hold off before taking action. But at that same time, you don't want to just necessarily be idle. You want to make sure you're continuing to develop skills. So what is the process that you follow to make sure that your skills not only are remaining sharp, the ones that you currently have, but also taking advantage of the opportunity to develop new ones? I, I've got a lot of, you know, I've got a lot of irons in the fire. Um, and, you know, sometimes just like when you're forging iron, you know, you, you pull that out of the fire, you go ahead and hammer it a little bit, and then stick it back in. I find it best that I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I'll go ahead and um, you know have a couple things going, and I'll work on different things, and then put it back in the fire. Let it let it heat up again, pull it out, melt it a little bit. Skills are perishable. Um, I find it you know I'll get on a range and shoot nowadays, and I realize that you know my pistol rifle skills aren't what they used to be. It takes a little practice to get them back up there, but if I'm not working constantly on a lot of different opportunities, I'll find myself lost. So I need to go ahead and plug some of those in, pull them out a little bit, and you know, continue to re-engage when that opportunity arises um, and it's the right time. When you think back to your days as a SEAL and, and now as an entrepreneur and business owner, what do you think is the number one mistake that people make when it comes to taking risk and taking the next step toward executing whatever vision uh, they, they've launched? You know, I've, I've found it personally and I've, I've tried a few things. I, I get too, I guess, um, I start into a process or I start into an adventure a little too prematurely and I'll go a hundred miles an hour and then I'll get ahead of the ball and, you know, and I'm waiting for it to catch up and then it slowly lags and it starts to develop, you know, and I, I'm, I'm like you, you know, I want things to happen quickly and I'm used to making things happen quickly when it's, dependent on me. But a lot of times, um, especially now, you know, on the civilian side, it's not up to me. You know, I'm working with other people, working with different teams. 
Um, so I outrun the ball and then I wait for it to catch up and it lags and that's where you know, I lose some steam. So it's got to be, you know, a more tempered push. You know, you have to stay with that flow rather than get ahead of it. And for, you know, the alpha types, the ones who are used to creating change and making things happen, you know, when you're relying on other people, you have to go ahead and, and move at their speed at times. But it also, it's all right to interject. You're fired to make them move a little bit faster. <laughs> you know, when, uh, a few few weeks back or a few months back, actually, I had Jay Redmond on, and one of the things he talked about was uh, knowing when to fall back. And I I didn't really dive into that. It was kind of a missed opportunity. So I figured I'd I'd chat with you about you know trying to develop the skills to know when to fall back or when to completely scrap a mission or vision or, or game plan altogether, regardless of how much you might believe in it. So when, when you think about that, when you think about knowing when to fall back versus knowing when to scrap something altogether, how do you develop that, that understanding, that knowledge, and maybe even intuition, I guess? Yeah, I think Redmond's correct. What did the general of World War II say? He's like, we're not retreating, we're just advancing in the opposite direction. You know, it, it's you you have to know when to you you can live outside of your comfort zone. You know, you can be outside of your comfort zone and be comfortable outside of your comfort zone and, and make that your normal your normal position. But you don't want to go outside your comfort zone in, in the wrong direction to the point where pride's driving you and you ultimately fail. That does nobody any good. You know, it can further kill that that initiative in the future. Um, it's a right to understand your limits, and you know, people always look at seals and they're like, "Well, they they have no limits. They're superhuman." And I would say it's false. You know, everybody has a limit. Um, it's okay to tactfully pull back and wait for a better time, um, or realize that you know what, this isn't going to work. I am outside of my comfort zone. I think that's what you know separates team guys from a lot of the people is most of them do understand what that limit is. You know that that truly that that man to myself understand what my limit is i can't go any further um i'm just going to go ahead and fall back and wait for a better time or redirect and go in a different direction there's nothing wrong with that um i think that is that maturity um and that's that been there done that mindset you know when when we think about intuition it's you know the gut instinct quote unquote like how did that how does that play into what you did as a seal sniper and also what you you are now doing as a business owner and and husband and and father you know it's a lot man um when we started to, you know working with uh the, the type of tactics we had at the time of clearing rooms it was always a, a fast push um through the house and then somebody said you don't want to run to your death and you, know, you always have it in the pit of your stomach but you never want to say anything it's like how quickly are you going to run to your death and um you know, the gut instinct and that intuition is is sanity. It's 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 the stuff that keeps you in check. Um, and I look at that now as a dad, as a father with kids. Um, I realize that you know you always want to be first, or at least I always wanted to be first as a seal. And I realize now, as I age in life with kids, you want to be last. I don't want to be the first one to die, right? I want to go ahead and enjoy, you know, my kids, my family. You know the, the the opportunities I've, I've helped create. You know the uh, the entrepreneurial side that I'm working with now. I want to enjoy that as long as possible. So how am I going to go ahead and use them? And you know, listen to that that reality check, that sanity check in my gut, and and say, hey, I need to go ahead and slow it down and enjoy what I have in front of me right now. So you know, I've learned a lot 
during my time in the teams. And a lot of that's helped me appreciate what I have now, especially when it comes to my family. You know, you just reminded me of something with, with regard to like just championship level performers in general. I've had a few Olympic athletes on here. I've had a bunch of just Navy SEALs and other high performing people on the, on the show. And one of the things that's kind of a common trait amongst them all is that they train, train, train hard, and then peak at some sort of an event and then come back and they train, 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 and then another peak ultimately to the point where in one, one of the Olympians cases, um, she had her last Olympics and she, she had worked her whole life to get to the Olympics and she had done it once. And this was her second time and it was her last time. And then it was like, Oh shoot, now what do I do? You know? And like you had been working your whole life to make this one thing. And I can only imagine that the transition from the seals into a civilian role must've been a similar challenge. I would imagine in the sense that you you've developed this great mission. This is, this was your purpose. You got this brotherhood, you were making things happen. You were making a huge difference. And, and then there's, then you're suddenly not part of it anymore. And so how do you deal with that kind of change? I, I, I was talking today, like I said, with these young kids and they're like, what was the hardest part of being in the SEALs? And I told them leaving, you know, leaving the SEAL teams was the hardest thing that ha- I had to do while I was in the military, because you're absolutely right. You form this, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself. You, you know, learn a lot of outstanding, uh, you know, skills. Um, you get to apply them, you form a brotherhood, and then it's time to say goodbye. I didn't stay on for 20 years. I did not retire. Um, but in that time, I did, you know, establish some really strong bonds with with a lot of guys. And then you leave and you walk away. And and dealing with that, I encourage people not to be one trick ponies. And that's how you can really suffer quite a bit when you leave certain communities and when you leave jobs and you leave relationships. Yeah, I was fortunate that I had my wife with me, and you know, she became a swim buddy. You know, and the teams we have that person we shoot with or somebody, you know, and she was able to be, you know, that companion that I could bounce ideas off of um, and really help me transition to the other side. And I realized that although I was a SEAL and got to do a lot of great things, it doesn't define who I am. It's a part of who I am, but it doesn't define who I am. That took a couple of years for me to really process and understand because, you know, what what do I want to be known as? Um not just the steel, I can tell you that because I've done a lot of other things. And now in healthcare, I get to help a lot of people. But learning that I don't want to be a one-trick pony meaning I don't want to just be a former SEAL, um, has made me work to branch out and be more diverse in, in what I bring to the table. Mm, man, that's powerful, man. That, so when you, what is your definition of who you are? When you, when you, if, if, if someone were to ask you to complete the sentence saying, I am, what would you, how would you finish it? Jack of all trades, master of everything. <laughs> um, seriously, though, you know, I want to, I, I want to be somebody who's not afraid of challenges. Um, you know, when it came to writing a book, you know, I, I, I wanted to have an outstanding book, and you know, we were we were graced with you know a lot of hard work from my wife and you know, Ethan Rocky um, and the publisher to, to put out a great book, and we you know we're published in five languages now. Yeah, I wanted to branch out in a different ways. I ended up working on American Sniper, um, which ends up being the, you know, highest grossing war movie of all time. 
Um, on the physician assistant side, our clinic with Dr. Dave LeMay, you know, we work with pro football teams, a lot of special operations groups. On the charity side, my wife and I run hunting for healing, and we take injured veterans and their spouses and hunting, fishing, outdoor activities. And we've been to Africa and Costa Rica. And, you know, on the, on the family side, I get to coach and be a dad. So I don't want to be somebody who's defined as just a SEAL. I want somebody to look at that guy and say, hey, you know what? He's able to be a positive force in every part of his community. And um, I think that's necessary, one, for my peace of mind, but also as an example for my kids. Dude, I, that is that is incredibly powerful and and such a powerful role model, not only for the young men that you spoke to today, but but more importantly for your kids and the, and the and the kids that are around them. So, uh, virtual high five to you. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, as we uh, as we get, begin to wrap up our conversation, I want to make sure that people first and foremost, have the opportunity to go and buy a copy of The Last Punisher and, and connect with you and, and follow you online where, wherever you are social. I believe it. you're pretty active on Instagram, I believe. Yeah, we do the Instagram. All social media is run by my wife and I. So uh, when, when you message, you reach us, not, not a bot or you know a third party. Um, but yeah, we're on Instagram. I'm at Real Kevin Lace and uh, uh, Kevin Dauber Lace is our Facebook. And I'm on Twitter as Dauber246. And if you want to buy the book, anywhere books are sold, Books Million, um, Barnes & Noble, uh, Kevin Lace, L-A-C-Z.com. If you're in any uh, German, Czech, French, you can pick up the book in those languages as well. And it's a, it's an incredibly well-written book. And um, I mean, just a, a true uh, page turner, not just because of of the fact that it's a true story, but because it's so it's told so well. Um, so I, you know, I thank you for writing it. Now, if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, so so not some you know skill set like wishing to fly, but something you currently possess, and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Skill set that I have would be turned into a superpower. It'd probably be vision, and not just my actual eye vision. It's it, it's how to read situations. Um, I wish I could see a little bit further in the future, but I wish I could take um, in the vision when I when I meet people and engage and when it comes to business and, and have that vision. I wish I could, you know, see further out and um, be able to hit a lot more of the wickets without, you know, having to bump into them as I go. But I wish I could, uh, my vision would be turned into superpower and, and uh, harnessed and bottled and commercialized and sold. That, that is awesome. You know that I had an interview this morning before yours and the gentleman, John Gordon, who's a, a great speaker and author, said the exact same thing. What are three lies that we tell ourselves and prevent us from realizing our full potential? I can do that. It's not my fault. I tried my hardest. I like that last one. I, I tried my hardest. Elaborate. I think there's a lot of... And, and now as a parent, you know, I, I know... At least I think I know my kids' full potential. Um, and there are times where you know, my little guy will come home and it won't have the best grade in the world. And I'll be like, how'd you do? And he's like, not good. And I was like, how, did you try? He's like, yeah, I think, I think I tried my hardest. And I know he's smarter than that. And I think that's something I do find myself where, yeah, I tried as hard as I could, but it really wasn't the 100% that I bring to the table. And there's always something more left in the tank. And, and uh, you have to be real with yourself to understand that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Carol Dweck has a whole book about minds called Mindset which talks about building a, a growth mindset and and talking specifically about effort as opposed to like results, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a really powerful way. And I would imagine 
I'd be curious, like as a seal, how that was, what kind of language when it came to the execution of a mission or, you know, in a debrief, you know, like what kind of language was, was used in the sense of uh, results versus effort, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and you know, Jocko was good at that. I liked, um, I liked his debriefs because everything was plain voice. And when you suck, you know, guys would say, I suck. And there was something to be said for grown men, SEALs, you know, people you look up to saying, yeah, that wasn't my best. Or that could have been improved on. Or, yeah, that was really good. And, you know, I, I do, I take that debrief, you know, tone in the way that we did that. And I, in the companies that I work with now, you know, I encourage people to speak that same way, you know, to break down a lot of those boundaries, the flowery language. I've worked in Hollywood. I can tell you about flowery language and <laughs> you did great. And you know, that acting was terrible. I understand that. Um, and I think when you don't become real with people and speak, you know, the way you should, then it's a missed opportunity and you can't improve yourself unless people tell you, Hey, this is the criticism and you have to be willing to take that criticism. That is, that is very powerful. Last question is from the title of a book uh, by a guy named Clay Christensen, which is how will you measure your life? I hope when it's all said and done, it's a long life. I hope to finish last in the race of life. I definitely am trying to keep stress to a minimum to ensure that. But I want to go ahead and, and be able to measure my life as you know, being able to try a lot of different things. I want to you know, constantly be outside of my comfort zone and constantly try and evolve and do things that you, know, you only get one life. You're issued one body. Um, and you need to go ahead and maximize every single, every single skill set that comes within that skin. And I want to be that guy who, uh, who's going to go ahead and do that. Kevin Lace, this was an insightful and fun conversation. Thank you for joining us and for sharing your story and providing a little bit of an insight on how entrepreneurs can learn from risk, take risk, and manage risk in, in their lives, both in their relationships and their businesses. So thanks again. Mike, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you to Carrie for linking us up. I had a fun time today. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.